Blog Talk Radio. RTB Radio, Blog Talk Radio, Raise the Bar Radio. My name is Michael McClure, and I will be your host today, coming at you from the beautiful little community of Plymouth, Michigan, located in between Ann Arbor and Detroit. And uh, before we get into today's show, uh, we just want to thank you for your amazing loyalty and support for this show. Um, We're really proud to announce that our last show is approaching 13,000 listens, and we know that this show is absolutely meaningless without your taking time out of your busy schedules to listen in. So, again, we just want to say a big thank you for your consistent support of this show. And since we were last on the air, we've been really busy with several new projects, and that's why we've been away for a little bit. We're going to be talking about those things, or at least a few of those things, in today's show, and that's a precursor for some of today's topic. And um, But I'm going to let today's special guest fill you fill you in on those blanks as we proceed through the show. Today's special guest really requires no introduction. Um, Most of you on this call or on this show will will know this person quite well. He's a New York Times bestselling author. He wrote a business fable called Surviving Your Serengeti. And if you're not familiar with that, you can check it out at serengetibook.com. You can actually buy the book there. You can also take the What Animal Am I quiz at whatanimalami.com, and that will make sense once you get there and check it out. He's also the leading author in the real estate industry. Um, I don't know the exact count. He'll correct me if I'm wrong, I'm sure, but I believe he's written about 20, 21 books and reports specifically about the real estate industry. He's also the the leading speaker in the real estate industry. I believe he's given over 700 keynotes, uh, spoken to hundreds of thousands of people, uh, literally on a worldwide global basis. And, And he's been kind enough to take time out of his schedule to join us today to talk about really three uh, three big topics, real estate trends, real estate technology, and something really interesting called the T3 Summit. I'm also proud to say that he's been our most frequent guest on this show, RTV Radio. I believe that this is his fifth visit. So I just want to welcome uh, and bring on the air Mr. Stefan Swanepoel. Stefan, thank you so much for being with us here today. Hey, good morning, Michael, and good morning to everybody on the call. Wonderful to be with you again. Well, uh, as I just said, it's always a pleasure. Um, we're honored that a person of your stature would take time out of your – I have some inkling into how busy your life is. And, uh, again, I, we, we take none of it for granted that you take time to be here with us. So before we get into the three big topics, the three T's that we're going to be talking about today, trends, technology, and the T3 Summit – uh, for the for the listeners on the podcast who are not familiar with Surviving Your Serengeti, would you take just a few minutes to sort of give them a quick overview of what that is and what the What Animal Am I quiz is all about? Oh, my goodness. Sure, of course we will. Uh, Surviving Your Serengeti is a business fable that I wrote. Uh, it is now this month, actually, exactly two years ago. Um, I've written 20 books, but of the 20 books which I've written, they're all technology and trends related. So I was trying to see if I could write something outside my normal business acumen and, and activities. And this is a business fable. Um, and as part of that book, which was released two years ago, uh, which is currently at the moment available at Hudson's at the bookstores at the airport, so you can go get it there. Of course, it's Amazon on Amazon, and it's available on uh, as a as a, 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 a video recording or audio video. It's an ebook. It's a Kindle, so you can download many places. But we created a a, a quiz, which is a kind of a a simplified disc quiz or a Myers-Briggs or AVA kind of quiz, which allows you over the Internet through any Wi-Fi device or any mobile device to quickly take a a quiz, which takes about uh, three minutes and about ten seconds. It's called What Animal Am I? Uh, And it is uh, at whatanimalami.com. There's nothing else on the site, just the quiz. And it allows you to sort of discover your instinctive natural strengths 
and abilities. And we've actually, I was just looking at the statistics now that you were saying that I was looking it up. We have, as of this morning, we've had 131,992 realtors take the quiz. So 131,992 realtors take the quiz to determine uh, their skill set. And then the results which you get, of course, is based on the book. So it, 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 it relates it to an animal. But at the end of the day, the animal is just a, a, a parable or a metaphor for some, some, some significant instinctive skills and abilities that you have, uh, which you can use to, to build a better team, to understand your clients better, to understand your spouse better. Um, so, yeah, it's been a huge success, and, and still uh, there's about 500 people taking the quiz every single day. Yeah, that's amazing. And, you know, I was um, uh, watching closely as this all happened back when it happened. Again, you said two years ago. And, you know, the... I know you're a very modest man, but the fact that you literally made every bestseller list, you know, the, obviously the the big one, the New York Times bestseller list, and then it seemed as if you were you were ranking high on everything, and that really speaks to the, you know, the quality of the book. And I know just about everybody that I know who's read it, which is just about everybody I know has really enjoyed it. And then also regarding that, what animal am I thing? Um, you know, one of the one of the challenges that I think a lot of people have with these personality profiles, and interestingly, I just saw a post on Facebook this morning where a woman posted a photo of a whiteboard that her child had written with a to-do list the child had written for the mother. And the mother wrote this, can you tell my daughter is a high C? Now, I know just enough to know that she's talking about a personality profile. I'm not sure which one it is. But I read that, and I have no idea what that means because I don't know what a high C is. But when when you learn about the what animal am I quiz and you learn what the seven animals are and the way you correlated the animal with the description of the animal is super logical. And as we as you and I have discussed and a lot of other people have discussed, I'm an enterprising crocodile. And it's funny how when you know what animal someone else is, it really impacts the way you deal with them. And I'll, I'll cut it off right there because I know that's not what we're here to talk about. But I mention that only because there's a lot of logic and, and uh, veracity and intelligence that went into the design of that whole concept. And uh, I want to implore people to check it out. Definitely do that what animal am I quiz and learn what that means. So thank you for summarizing that for us. Well, thank you. And you're right. We, the animals were not just grabbed at random. We spent the best part of four years actually researching many, many animals. And I, I went to the Serengeti in Africa. Not only have I, have I been there many times, I, I went back twice just for the book and the purpose of the book and the research of the animals. As much as I had already been on, I don't know, 20 safaris before I wrote the book, I went back to go and make sure that the, the analogy of every metaphor and animal, that the tie-in actually made sense and that it is something for you to remember so that it would be something which would be easier than a high D or a high I or S or a C on, a, on another kind of grid. And those other quizzes are great. It's not that they're not great. They're wonderful. They're just sometimes a little bit more complicated to understand. Exactly, and I think that's a big part of the magic of what you've designed is the fact that it is memorable. For example, I remember that you're a strategic lion. And that yes. makes perfect sense, and et cetera. So it's a genius design. Congratulations one more time on the amazing success you. that you had you. with it. So now let's move on and talk about the, the the more current topics for us here today. First is you released your is it your is it your eighth or eighth um, trends report recently? Uh, yes, it is actually the the nineteenth book on real estate trends, but it is the actual eighth one in the series uh, called the Swanepoel Trends Report. We did the first one in 2006. Uh, at that time, we had written another series before that, which we had called the Real Estate Confront series. And we had done Real Estate Confronts Reality, Real Estate Confronts the E-Consumer, Real Estate Confronts Technology, Real Estate Confronts the Future, Real Estate Confronts Bundled Services, Real Estate Confronts Online Transactions. We had done a bunch of those. And uh, by 2005, we had felt that we had completed that series. And I was looking for a, a, new, a new series. And we started, we felt that there was a need for the industry to every year try and wrap its hands around the complexity of everything that's happening. The abundance, the quality, the quantity, the extent, the velocity, the speed. And it is almost impossible for any of us to really stay current because of everything that happens. So what we try and do for 
for you, Michael, for, for your listeners, for the brokers, for the agents, for those people that, that want to be better, they want to succeed, they want to be at the cutting edge, they want to be different, they want to know what's going on. It's trying to read everything that is published in a year, whether it's published on great services like Inman Risk Media, uh, whether it's research pieces coming from NAR or, or Stephen Murray's research pieces, whether it comes from any of the universities which have real estate divisions, or whether it's done by one of the title companies or the core logics, or even some of the online portals like Zillow. We research all of that is as much as we possibly can. We digest all of it, and then we try and see what of it looks, what looks real, what looks like a press release, what, what has longevity, what is going to have a national impact, what is regional, what is local, what is national, and we try and sort it all out, and then we try and put it into categories. So we say, is there in the last 12 months a strong indication that some trend, some initiative um, is, is bubbling to the top. We, we try and, and rank it on its importance, its longevity, its potential impact, the amount of buzz that's around a specific topic, and then we try and give it a, a weighted average. We, we try and say, well, on a scale from 1 to 10, is this a big impact or a small impact? Is this an industry changer or is this a company changer or an agent changer or a commission changer? We try, we try and do it. It's very subjective, but it's based on, on – uh, we put in almost about 1,000 hours into every report. So we put that all together, and then we produce a report which is about uh, 164 pages every year. The intention is that it, it summarizes the last 12 months and then, importantly, looks forward to the next 12 to 24 months and says, based on what's just happened, what do we think the result and the impact is going to be on the next 12 to 24 months, and what do we actually think that you could or should do about it? So we actually come down to, to taking action steps and recommendations, uh, and, and we, we rewrite it mainly from a, a leadership, management, broker, uh, dynamic leader, rainmaker kind of a point of view. Um, and that, that's the report, and, and this year is its eighth, eighth edition. Yes, and the description you just gave of it in terms of who it's intended for will draw contrast to what you just said with the intended audience of the next item we're going to talk about, which is something new called the Swanepoel Technology Report, but we'll hold off on that for the moment. Um, and I, I just want to add my two cents on the trends report as well, which is that you know, I, I think I – make as much of an effort as anyone in this industry to stay current. It's, in fact, it's almost an obsession of mine in terms of the, the uh, Raise the Bar Facebook group that I started uh, where I spend a ton of time talking about nothing but current issues affecting the industry. And a challenge that I absolutely have, and, I, and my view is that if I have this challenge, I think everyone has this challenge, which is how do you stay current? Because Every single year I get your trends report, and I happen to have my current year copy in my hand right now. I flip through it. I'm actually doing this as I speak. I kind of page through it, flip through it. I look at the um, chapter headings. I look at the bullet headings along the way, and the first thing I think is, how much of this have I never seen before? How many of these issues are new to me? And I have to be honest with you, a very high percentage of them are. So it speaks to the it speaks to the depth and breadth of your research, and it also speaks to the difficulty any individual has in staying current. So I, I tip my hat to you and Tom Mitchell for doing such a great job on that. And, and that said, let's dive in and talk about, if, if you don't mind, let's talk about um, – I, I picked four topics because our time is limited and we always burn through these conversations so quickly. But I picked four topics – that I just wanted to sort of get a little more input from you on. And I chose these either because I didn't really know much about them or they're near and dear to my heart and I selfishly want to discuss them. So let's start with uh, the Berkshire Hathaway takes another huge step in real estate issue. Why is that a big trend and what would you like our listeners to know about it? Um, all right, so let's look at that one. The importance is the fact that Berkshire Hathaway, firstly, is a very, very significantly large company. So it's not just a normal acquisition. We've had acquisitions in our industry for as long as I can go back and research. So I've, I've roughly gone back to the 1960s with research. I did my master's degree in the American real estate brokerage industry. So going back, I mean, we've had acquisitions for a long time. But some of the acquisitions, some of the consolidations just stand out because of the magnitude. This is one of them. Firstly, because of the involvement of Warren Buffett. Secondly, he acquired two national franchise organizations, not franchisees, not an individual locally operated office, the national franchise. So he acquired Prudential and he acquired Real Living. Those are both 
listed in, let's say, the top 10 of real estate franchise organizations in the country. So for any, any, any franchise to change hands is noteworthy. For one in the top 10 to change hands is very noteworthy. To two of them to change hands at the same time is exceptional. For to happen and to be bought by the same person at the same time has never happened before. The last time that we even got close to that was when HFS, who became Senate, who's now Rilogy, acquired in a three-year period Coal Banker, Century 21, and ERA. So those were the, the most and largest acquisitions in the shortest possible time. So here we have, we have two which basically happened at the same time. He was already a player in the industry, so it wasn't that he was a, a new entrant. He, he previously was predominantly by, by, by investing in local players, so Edina Realty, CBS Realty. So, so he had largely independent players who he had kept independent names in place. Now he was expanding his portfolio by branching into franchising as well. And then above all, he agrees to use his name of his company, Berkshire Hathaway, and allow that to be added to the real estate company's name. Now, if you, if you research Berkshire Hathaway, you will note, and, I, and we have extensive research of him in, in, our, in our report. If you look at, at the many private companies he's bought, as well as the public companies, as almost without exception, he does not use the name Berkshire Hathaway. He will always keep the name Seize Candy or NetJets or Medical Protective or CBT or Business Wire. He will keep the name of the company which he's acquired. In this case, he has created a new business entity called Berkshire Hathaway Home Services. And although the credential name at this point in time we believe is still going to remain in place for at least as long as all franchise agreements are still out there, he has acknowledged that further growth and further acquisitions will be under the Berkshire Home Services name. So we are going to see the Berkshire Hathaway Home Services name on a for sale sign in a front lawn in the not too distant future. That name is very, very valuable in the investment community, in the financial community. It is an unknown name in the home buying and or even the consumer market. So for them to do that means that they are going to be spending a lot of time, money, and energy, and focus, and building a brand new brand in our industry. When the second or third richest person in the world does that, you take note. That's why it's important on so many levels. That's fascinating, and I, I am familiar with um, with Buffett and his history. Um, I'm a CPA and have you know a, a sort of a financial. A bent to my personality. I've been following him forever, and um, you know, for many years. And I, and I don't really know the totality of this, but he's synonymous with financial acumen. Um, he is he is probably more so than anyone in the history of uh, modern. Uh, certainly, probably in the history of America. That may be a bold statement that I can't back up. But in my lifetime, the most financially astute person generally perceived as being. So that's fascinating that you that you draw those observations. And now that you say them out loud, it's obvious that that all makes sense. Um, it'll be interesting you know, to see what happens with that. You know, Michael, it doesn't make a difference whether he is the most astute or not the most astute, or whether somebody wants to debate that. We, what we do all agree with is that he is exceptional. He is astute. He is very, very rich. He takes very, very wealthy decisions. He takes very wise decisions. He takes very strategic decisions. He tends to not fail with many things. He tends to see things through for the long haul. When he gets involved with something, you know that it is a high, high, high probability of success. That's why you take notice. He's not just an average person. So whether he is the most astute or the most richest, it's not important. He is way above anybody who's ever actually got involved in real estate in the past. So we might as well take notice because he will have an impact whatever he decides to do. Really well said, and that's kind of what I meant to say. You just said it way better. <laughs> so Sorry, thank you I didn't for mean that. To do that. <laughs> uh, let's move on to the second of those four topics, which is the real estate office of the future. What are the oh, issues you see at play there? You're picking all the big ones here, right? Wow. Uh, yeah, that is a favorite one. I mean, we have we have always looked at business innovation in real estate. So we have, in some years, we've looked at at uh, how franchising can change. Uh, we've sometimes looked at at independent companies and how independent companies can change. In different years, we've looked at at online portals and how they're changing. And not too long ago, a year or two ago, we looked at at new business models, how you would change the relationship between agent and broker, how you change the commission structure. This year, we decided we wanted to actually look at the tangible office, the office. It Itself. Has there been a change or a shift in the actual physical size of an office? 
or, or have we basically still got the same structure that we started with after the Second World War, which became popular in the 60s and the 70s? And that, that structure, which was very much consistent for the last call it almost a half a century, has remained very, very much unscathed. We have noticed in the last couple of, I would say maybe two, three years, that there is a, a tendency towards a, a, a shift in a certain direction. Now, again, we always have had a smorgasbord of variety. It's not that there hasn't been change, but the fact that somebody in San Francisco creates one model doesn't mean that's a national shift. So we take notice of things that happen in Seattle and San Francisco, anywhere in the country for that matter of fact. And the fact that somebody says, oh, I'm going to open 50 offices, well, in most cases, we're not going to talk about that. We're going to wait till he opens his offices to see whether he's got longevity. Does he have the depth, the money, the talent, the skill, the, the plan, the chutzpah, whatever is needed to actually make it happen? Otherwise, he's just talking. So we will sometimes look back and wait back a little bit and wait to see if something is, is actually gaining traction. In the last couple of years, we've noticed probably two or three models that seem to be gaining traction. We've we, we, we called them in, in the report, we've referred to them as the superstore, the cafe lounge, and the cloud-based model. Now, again, we're not saying that these models are replacing everything we have today. There are many companies today that have a successful model that's working. But at the same time, we have an exceptionally high percentage of real estate brokerages which are going insolvent, not making money, struggling to make money. And yes, we can point to the economy as a, as a reason for that. It doesn't mind what the reason is. We have people not making money. And when people are not making money, it's an ideal time to change the model. And that's what's happening. So maybe it's driven by unemployment. Maybe it's driven by too many agents. Or maybe it's driven by technology. Maybe it's driven by social media. Maybe it's driven by online-based stuff. doesn't make a difference. So the first one is the superstore, and we have a variety of, of, of people doing that. We have some very large regional independents that have been do, doing it for a while. So we have some big local names in, in pockets around the country th that have created large stores. As a national franchise, the best example is probably Keller Williams Realty, where they have created stores that are just large in size. Now, you know, a traditional office, again, I know there's a big scope here, but a traditional office is maybe 4,000 to 12,000 square feet. That might be sort of a, a sort of a, a bottom and a, and a top range in general. Again, remember, I'm talking about averages here, not not exceptions. If we look at, at that kind of 4,000 to 12,000 square feet as an average office, most people would put somewhere between 40 to 100 agents in in that in that mix. And if you divide that up, which I know is not always equal, but if you divide that up, you get that around about 100 to 125 square feet per agent. And that 100 to 125, if you look at some studies put out by, by uh, Better Homes and Gardens not too long ago, I think Century 21 did a few a couple of years ago, I think Steve Murray's done one, I think NAR's done one, that number seems to be in that kind of a ballpark of 100 to 125. It seems that the brokers can no longer be profitable, uh, generally speaking, at that kind of allocation of square feet per agent. The overhead is just too expensive for the quantity and the volume of business that the companies are doing. Again, and what was that? I'm sorry, Stefan, to interrupt. What was that metric again? Was it 125 square About feet per agent? About 100 to 125 square feet per agent is is the old paradigm, and that's too much. So what the superstore gives, and this is only one one potential solution, the superstore has said, all right, I'm going to I'm going to make the size of the office actually larger. I'm going to I'm going to go maybe instead of four to twelve thousand square feet, I'm going to go eight thousand to thirty thousand square feet. Now, that flies in what some people would say, well, that's bricks and mortar. We don't want bricks and mortar. I get it. But, but Walmart is still profitable. So a big model doesn't, does mean that you have to do more volume and turnover, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't work. So, so Keller Williams has said, right, let's go to 30,000 square feet, and then I'm going to put 500 agents in there. And when you divide the 500 agents into that 30,000 square foot kind of a model, you get the square feet per agent down to 35, 40, 50, 60 square feet per agent. So somewhere between a third to half of the traditional size. Hence, that makes that model more financially viable. The other alternative is, which is the cafe lounge model, if you don't want to go big, then go small. So now people have said, all right, if, I, if, if four to 8,000 square feet, four to 12,000 square feet is not, not that viable, let me bring it all the way down to, let's say, 1,500 to 3,000 square feet. Let's, let's reduce the office maybe with 50 or 60 or 70%. Let me create a very small boutique kind of an environment. And yes, we have a variety of boutiques across the country which have done that very, very well. What's interesting now is that, one, we have another franchise, Remax, that seems to be latching onto this concept, and they seem to be retooling many of their existing offices to a kind of a cafe lounge. 
And we have another franchise called United Real Estate, which has always been more largely a, an agricultural kind of a franchise. It's been in the farming community, and, and they're the biggest in the country in the farming community, but they're not really in the residential market. They've just now officially moved into the residential market, and I'm not shareholders of these companies, so I'm not, I'm not sort of promoting United. I'm saying they've moved into the market. They've raised money, outside third-party money. They've, they've put a plan together to build 72 locations across the country. They've been funded for it, and they've already opened five. Well, that clearly wow. shows they're on the way. So I got on a plane, and I went to go and look at these offices. They look like a Starbucks. They're on the ground floor of a huge office building, usually in an upscale kind of a market, not in a shopping mall, but in an office building next to the elevator or the escalators where there's a high volume of traffic. Um, it's small. It's 1,500, 2,000 square feet, where that office in the past would have been considered you know, very, very small or dinky. Um, they now put in those offices at least 40 to 100, square, uh, sorry, 100, uh, 40 to 100 agents, which is at least the equivalent number to what people put in offices previously, which was twice or three times that size. So by them coming smaller, keeping the same number of agents, they too have got down to around about a 35, 40, 50 square feet per agent um, space, which is comparable to the Keller Williams size, which shows you that that seems to be the space size where people are moving towards. 30, 40, 50 square feet per agent is a more profitable model. And then these kind of companies like the, the Uniteds and the Remaxes are saying, we can comfortably put 100 agents in there. Now, they're not creating a sweatshop. They're not creating a, a kind of a LIFRO organization where they're putting in too many agents. They're just saying agents can now telecommute. Agents can be virtual. Yes, agents can work from home. Agents don't need necessarily an office. They will use certain stations in a cafe lounge environment where they will come and go. And again, if you get the right team, if you get the right mix of people, that could work. And we see that also growing over the next couple of years. So I, I think that you will see the Superstore concept, the Cafe Lounge concept, get a lot of attention over the next five years as different variations of them are, are tested and the hybrids are financed and they're rolled out. And then the last model, which is also a very fascinating model, is the whole idea of a virtual office or a, or a cloud-based office. Um, we have a few of those uh, around, and some of them, uh, some people refer to them derogatory as, as sweatshops, which is not a, a nice way to, to refer to them. But, but we have some shops, which is a small shop with a thousand licenses. I'm not referring to that, although they are growing and they are a trend without a question. I'm referring to companies here, which probably a better example would be an EXP kind of company, where they actually are real real estate agents but they actually do not need to go to the office, and they've created a kind of a, a second life or a, or a, a, a we or a, um, a World of Warcraft kind of a virtual environment where you actually log into a cloud-based office, and you can actually see office, you can see other people, you have an avatar, you go to a board meeting, you go to a, a transaction coordinator, and the whole transaction, I say the whole transaction, a large portion of the transaction takes place in a digital environment. That doesn't mean that you never see the client. Of course, you still go do a listing of a house. Of course, you still go do a listing presentation. Yes, of course, you still can go do a close. But, but as many parts as you possibly can of the transaction is now done in this digitally virtual environment. And the first time you do it, it's awkward. I, it was strange to me. Um, and then when I did it, I'm not an agent. I, I said when I did it, I mean, I, I investigated it. So I, I called them up and I said, do me a demo. Show me how it works. And, and the first time, you know, you're skeptical. The second time, you say, mm, this is hard. The third time, you say, oh, this is actually interesting. The fourth time, you start saying, you mean I can do this and this and this? And without, without noticing, within, you know, getting accustomed to the technology, you say, wow, this tool is considerably more powerful than I thought. It is not that hard to be a virtual cloud-based agent. So we see that probably as a third kind of track. So go big, go niche market, go small, or go cloud-based. That seems to be the three choices at the moment if you decide you want to do something which is more than doing nothing. Well, you know, it's interesting because as I listened to you say all that, I was thinking, okay, what's the common thread in those three concepts? And it's very simple. It's very obvious. And it is everybody's moving to a lower square foot per agent, whether it's down to that 30 to 50 range that you mentioned uh, or to entirely cloud-based in the final example you gave. And it's interesting because, you know, I, as you know, I have my own real estate company, and this is a topic that I have spent a lot of time on. I've been trying to find the sweet spot for the brokerage model because implicit in everything you said, and I think you said it explicitly, is it's really hard to survive as a broker these days. 
and that's because, you know, for a whole slew of reasons, which I don't need to recount, but the bottom line is that the old days of that 100 to 125 square feet per agent thing, um, most brokers can't survive in today's market. You know, price points, uh, even though I know the market's coming back in certain places and in many places, it's still nothing like it was back in the pre-crash days, at least not, not where I live. And uh, I think that a lot of people learn some really hard lessons as brokers, which is, you know, if you carry these high overhead, relatively high overhead costs, you'll be out of business. I made a little video, which I never published because I knew people would hate it, but I made a little video one day. I decided I'm going to get in my car and I'm going to drive to all the real estate offices in my market that have closed um, in the past, at the time, it was probably the past two years. And I went to seven offices within five miles of me, seven offices. And I stood in front of each, turned the camera on myself, and I said, this used to be a blank office. And then I got back in my car and drove to the next one, and I said, this used to be a, a different blank office. And so, you know, I think people are finally wising up financially in this industry and thinking more like business people, and I don't want to insult anybody by saying it that way, but as a CPA and as a business person, when I look around at the predominant models that existed, let's say, 10 years ago and prior, there was a lot of, in my opinion, really bad decision-making that went into those models. I don't know how else to say it. So I'm really encouraged for the industry that these these three types are rising up and gaining, have already gained traction, and I think um, absolutely they'll gain more traction in the future. So, um, and again, a brilliant synopsis of that trend for us, and thank you for doing that. Anything else to add on that topic? Um, I think the industry uh, has a lot of legacy financial poor management problems. I think that's a valid statement. Exactly. I think it has. But but even if some of the listeners today disagree that, that we don't, again, it's not important whether we do or don't or did or did not. Um, uh, change, growth, um, uh, um, evolution requires change. And, and if you study any industry, I mean, I happen to study ours, but, but you can study any industry and look at any books written by other people about any practice, any industry, and you will find that, that over time, all industries, all professions, all businesses go through a growth curve. And this curve is never-ending. I mean, it's, it's the circle of life, right? So, so a, an industry can be like an infant and then an elementary school and then a middle school and then a high school and then get married and then university and then midlife crisis. <laughs> you know? So as we all mature, as the industry matures, we will find new players entering the industry, like, like the Zillows and the Trulia. And it's not good. It's not bad. It just is. And, and we deal with that. Uh, in, in the most effective way we can. And existing players, uh, big, great companies which we have, the, the Coldwell Bankers of this world, which has been around 105 years, 106 years, something like that, 100 years, the Century Turn Ones and the Remaxes, which have been around 40 years, the, the Keller Williams, which have been around 30 years. These are all great companies, and if they want to be a great company in 10 and in 20 and 30 years' time, they have to innovate. They have to change. And, and if they do, if any of those companies, which I've just mentioned some, I mean, there are many which I, I have not mentioned, but for no particular reason, you can mention hundreds of other companies. If they do innovate, if they do remain cutting edge, they will be a leader in, in the next decade or the decade after. And if they don't, if they stick to their old paradigm and are stubborn, stubborn and not wanting to change, uh, they will be eclipsed by a new model. Because, you know, a superstore model um, or a cafe lounge model or a cloud race model it does not belong to the brand who we currently cited as the example of who's using it. Anybody can create a superstore. Anybody can create Absolutely. a cafe lounge, and anybody can be cloud-based. It's, it's not about size, big or small, or virtual or not virtual. It's how effective you as a leader and as a visionary can use that model, hire the right people, get the right team together, have passion, have commitment, have culture, have vision, have profitability, and drive it to success. And if you, if you have that, that, that drive, that commitment, that passion, that energy, you can succeed with almost anything. Oh, I completely agree. But that doesn't defeat the, the point we're talking about, which is no, just the, you know, the financial wisdom of choosing one option over another. And, and, uh, but I agree with your, your broader point there. So, and, and I love that topic so much. I've been studying it for so long. And uh, I hearken back to one of my all-time favorite blog posts from Mark Davison, 
which was called Real Estate Needs Liposuction. And he wrote that post in, drumroll please, August of 2005. <laughs> yeah, oh, Mark, Mark is... Mark is a great writer and a great thinker. Uh, so the fact that you've had him on, on your show so many times just speaks to the quality of your show. He's just awesome. I love Mark. Well, thank you for saying all of that. And I, uh, and I know you know I completely agree. Mark is, uh, Mark is an amazingly smart dude, and uh, we're both blessed to call him friend. Um, so thank you for that synopsis on that really important topic. Uh, and kind of, kind of related to that, although maybe a, a little different, is the next topic I've chosen for us to discuss which is the value proposition of brands. You know, this is something that um, we've talked about uh, in that Raise the Bar Facebook group many, many times, and it's another topic that's near and dear to my heart. And, you know, that is, what is, uh, what is that? What is the value of branding in real estate? Is it does it mean everything? Does it mean nothing? Is it becoming more important? Is it becoming less important? Is it all about the agent? Is it all about the brand? Is it all about the consumer? Is it all about some combination of those things? Who does the brand market itself to? The agent or the consumer? I mean, there are so many issues tied up in this larger issue that we could probably spend five hours just on this topic. But why don't you summarize for us what you covered in the report and what your thoughts are on the topic? Yeah, we could take five hours, and I unfortunately don't think we can fit five hours into the next 20 minutes. Um, and, and I think that's why we, we try to tackle that topic in the Trends Report, because the Trends Report allows me uh, you know, to take four or five or six thousand words and and really analyze something to depth, to to a lot of detail, a lot of depth. Uh, yeah, I, I participate in in your uh, Facebook page, the, the Raise the Bar, which is a great blog, by the way, great group you've created there. And and you can sometimes see in the discussion and the thread of many of the discussions, you can see the the, the brilliance of some people participating, and you can also see the idiocy of some people participating. I mean, there, there are just sometimes. <laughs> Comments which are put out there which you look and say, where on earth did you come from? Have you not been reading what has been said? Or don't you follow or don't you get it? And, and I think this is a great subject matter which often falls in that category because this is a very complex subject matter. It, it is not a one-dimensional, not that very few things in life are one-dimensional, but this is a, a very multi, multi, multi-level uh, discussion. And, and it is one which many people are, are very passionate about. Those who belong to a certain franchise fly the color of that flag and they bleed that blood. And, and when you sometimes mention another franchise brand, there is almost a, a deep-rooted animosity or hatred towards not an individual, because there's always this friendship which crosses the divide, but, but towards the other, the other logo, the other name, the other brand. If you are a broker uh, of a franchise organization, you believe that the, the franchise has value and you tend to tout it and you say this is what you bought and you will – Many times here, an individual agent that is very successful in the area will say, that, well, my individual brand is more important. I, I don't need the national brand anymore. And then you will find independent companies which say, oh, I don't need a brand at all. But, but when you listen to all of these people, whether it's the, the agent, the broker, the listing agent, the selling agent, or it's an independent local agent, or a person who does or does not belong to a national franchise, everybody does at the end of the day refer to some kind of recognizability of the individual or the person or the transaction or the name or the company. There is some kind of reference. And, and that's, that's brand. Brand is everything. It's, it's not fundamental. It's not just the national franchise brand we're talking about. Clearly, that is something which is very visible. But if I'm an independent broker or I'm an independent agent and I've carved myself out a market like Christina Wise, the Good Life team, that's not a national franchise. But Christina is a brand. The Good Life team is a brand. Um, leading real estate companies of the world is a, is a national network organization which brings large companies together in independence. That's not a franchise, but that is a brand. So, so, so brand is multiple things to multiple people. And at different stages of agent's life, whether you are a, a new rookie agent trying to get into the market and you want to use a national franchise to get traction, or whether you are competing against somebody who's an entrenched person in the market who's got a franchise brand, every, every brand has something attached to it. 
and, and in your area it might differ slightly from another area because it's not the same. It, it unfortunately is not the consistency of a, a Mercedes-Benz or a BMW or an Apple or, or a Dell computer, which has the luxury of a, a, a product which is tangible. It's made on a manufacturing line. It has similarity and consistency to the, to the product. It is shipped and sent to an office or a location which, again, has similar – almost every Apple store has a high level of similarity across the country. So there is, it's easy to say what that brand represents. It becomes a little bit harder when you go all the way down to a franchise company which says, well, I'm an independently owned and operated franchise in my area, and I will do just what I want to do. And then you have an agent in the office which says, I'm an independent contractor, and I'm not even going to allow the manager or the broker to tell me what to do. So yeah. we have so many cascade levels of independency in our industry that, yes, not all two REMAX agents or two Keller Williams agents or two Exit Realty agents or two Prudential agents are the same. Of course they're not. There is a discrepancy. There are, there are ones which are exceptionally good, and there are ones which are less good. So to, to refer to brand is we have to look at all of the levels, and that's what I do in that chapter. We look at the national brands. We look at the local brands. We look at the online brands. I mean, if you look at yesterday, uh, the, the headline newspaper of USA Today, there was an article, and they talk about the fact that we are in short supply for real estate houses across the country. There's a shortage of houses. Who do they quote? The first person they quote is Zillow. So don't tell me Zillow is not a brand. Of course it's a brand. They might not be at the moment a brokerage company. They might not want to sell houses. They might not intend to sell houses. They are still a real estate brand. A brand is anything anybody will recognize and take a decision to move towards or away from. And the quality of that brand, the backbone of that brand, is the consistency by which you deliver that brand, whoever you are. And there's the rub. And, and not to open and not to open the, the door to, you know, the time that we don't have to discuss this. But I think, you know, my personal view is that that's where brand becomes really muddy in real estate. It's the consistency consistency of the delivery of a message, of a level of service, of all the things that make Apple Apple and BMW BMW that you and I and everybody else can can instantly understand. That's what I think is is um, the challenge in real estate for for a whole slew of reasons? You know the independent contractor thing, the the barrier to entry, et cetera, et cetera. All those things that have been that I have personally beaten to death online. But I, I, that's another topic that I dearly love. And, and 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 if we may, because again, I exactly what I feared would happen is happening, which is we're burning through our time so quickly. Let's move on to our fourth. A trend topic to leave ourselves enough time to cover the last two topics, and that fourth topic is redefining real estate professionalism. Um, give us your synopsis on that. Um, if you look at a variety of industries such as uh, pharmaceutical business, uh, engineering business, food services, healthcare, law, accounting, doesn't mind if it's a professional service, if it's retail, if it's wholesale. All of them, and, and I, have, I have tried to study all of them at least from a, from a high level. Um, accounting, PricewaterhouseCoopers, Ernest Young, Deloitte. If you look at engineering, the Ford Corporation, URS, Jacobs Engineering. If you look at the food services, Cisco, U.S. Food, Service Groups of America. So if you look at all of these industries, there has been some form of consolidation over time. And as consolidation happens, there is scalability which comes into play. As soon as scalability comes into play, capital moves in and capital says, I want, I want, I want to buy. And as soon as they start buying it, they want a return on investment. Capital does not get involved in organizations for the sake because they love realtors. When capital gets involved in any industry, it is because it wants a return on equity. So it has already done that with healthcare. It is now Kaiser Permanente, United, United Health, and WellPoint, and other companies like that, which have now got doctors working for them. And the corner doctor on the street is just not as prevalent or as powerful or as well-known or even as, as, as commonly found in a neighborhood as he was in the 1950s or 60s and 70s. Again, we're not here to judge whether that's good or bad, whether you like it or dislike it, not the point. Kaiser Permanente is here to stay, at least for the foreseeable future, and we are not going to change that. So the person who owns Kaiser Permanente says, if I'm going to hire certain doctors, if I'm going to work with certain insurance companies, if I'm going to put up buildings and hospitals everywhere because you want the convenience of a 24-hour service, I want to return on my investment. So I will give you the billion dollars. I'll buy that. 
but, but you've got to do certain things according to a system which is scalable, which is professional, which is repeatable, which, is, which can be documented, etc., etc., etc. So if you take that, that normal logic and thinking, which has happened in so many places that we can no longer dispute that, that, that it is, there are hundreds of examples in multiple industries. So then you look at our industry and say, the one that I love so much and you love so much, our beloved real estate industry, have we had any form of, of, of redefining of the professional in our industry? Well, yes. Realty is a roll-up of companies. Realty is, is a public company that wants a return on investment. They own Core Bank, Century 21, Sotheby's, Bedrooms and Gardens, ERA. So they're that. Well, guess what? Berkshire Hathaway just did that. They, they have home services, Annie Diner, and Prudential, and Real Living. So Warren Buffett didn't buy these companies because he wants to go out with a realtor over the weekend. He doesn't want to sit at an open house. He put money into an investment because he believes it can return something on his investment. And if capital enters into any business space, the rules will change. And at the moment, our industry is so, uh, I don't want to say unprofessional because that's not true. We have many people in our industry which are very, very professional. But, but, but as, as a whole, our industry is lacking many systems, many levels, many benchmarks, many qualifications, many scalable activities, which I believe will gradually be introduced by capital from outside. And as we introduce those uh, systems and formats to the structure, we will redefine what it is to be a real estate professional. Again, you bring a whole different spin to that than most people would have thought of, certainly including me, in, in terms of the macro impact of capital moving in. You know, that's not something that agents sit around thinking about. And yet, no, it is ab it, it's absolutely a massive, you know, again, a macro impact that, that just wouldn't occur to many. So thank you for sharing that, and, and, and I think that makes perfect sense, and I, for one, Really look forward to those things happening because, as you know, um, you know I've been, I think, one of the industry's harshest critics in terms of professionalism. And um, not to repeat everything that people have heard me say too many times before, but I came from an industry, the CPA world, where there was an exceptionally high barrier to entry. In fact, I worked for a company you just mentioned, PricewaterhouseCoopers, and you know the the, the uniformity of the conduct. The uniformity of the service that was provided was amazing. I mean, it was everybody who worked in that in that company was exceptional. And I look at that and say that's what having a high barrier to entry gets to you. Now, many inside the real estate industry would hear me say that and say, oh, Mike, stop saying that stuff. There's bad people in every industry, to which I would reply. And when I say bad people, I just mean not very good at their job. Um, I would say... Yeah, I agree with that. But in the uh, 10 years I worked at Price Waterhouse, I saw two people fired in an office of 300. Two. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they were I, both smart people. They just, I mean, the standards were just so different. And then I came over to real estate, and it's an entirely different world where the, you know, the barrier to entry is low, licensing is easy, etc. And so I think this is a big issue for this industry, and I, I agree with you. Whatever the reason, whether it's macro money, capital coming in, or you know, consumers and social media exposing the bad practitioners, you know, there's so many layers to this. I see professionalism absolutely increasing in the future. What, what I hope the trends report will contribute to, to the legacy of, of our industry that when we look back one day, and people look back, is the fact that I understand that agents live at the rock face. We have to do the sale this weekend. I know we have to make the money to live. So, so we work at the rock face. That's acceptable. But I want us to think on a higher level. I want us to think for a bigger purpose. I think I want us to think at what we can do. Don't you, you mentioned some of the, the, the pettiness of which goes on in our industry. It is so true. Let's stop bitching and griping and complaining and arguing about insignificant small things. And why do we always have to say that something is wrong and I don't like it and this person's to blame and that company is stupid and I don't like what NAR does? Stop doing that. You're not achieving anything. If you're not happy with your local association, well, then go get on the board and go change it. Go make a difference. Don't, don't, don't the whole time just be negative towards people which are either doing something or not doing something. And I acknowledge that there are many people doing nothing. But go make a difference. And if you see something happen or something's discussed in your Facebook group or like Trends Report, you don't have to agree with it. But, but participate it and use that to your benefit. See how you can how you can 
position yourself in the future of the real estate industry to in a position which is advantageous to you and the industry? Well said again. All right, we're down to 10 minutes, 12 minutes. So we have two more, We have two of our three topics left to cover. What, what um, happened with the, time? Uh, Stefan, this is just what you do. This is just what you do. You're 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 so eloquent, and you have so many good things to say that, you know. I think next time you're on the show, and I hope there will be certainly a next time and a bunch of next times that maybe we'll expand and, and do 90 minutes or two hours because we could fill it easily. But so the next topic, and again we have two to cover, is uh, a new and very exciting project um, called the Swanapool Technology Report. Why don't you tell our listeners? What that is, and also well, contrasted with the the, the 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 purpose of the trends report. Well, maybe we should actually leave this one for the next discussion because this is a whole new report. Let me just give you a 60 seconds on this one. I think um, with the growth of the Swanepoel Technology uh, Trends Report, Trends Report, we have noticed that we have increasingly over the last four or five years, every year, added more and more. Uh, copy and research on technology. I mean, it's just become a growing aspect. It doesn't matter which part it is. Everything from, from social media to, to vows to the MLSs to the, the mobile technology to the iPads, I mean, the, the paperless transaction. It's just grown every year. And we decided last year that the quantity and the impact and the velocity of technology was so large that it, it had reached maturity in the real estate industry, that it, it, it owned and it justified to stand on its own in a fully-fledged 164-page report of its own. So what we've done basically is we've taken the technology report out of the trends report, and we have said the trends report remains focused more towards brokers, managers, visionaries, leaders, CEOs, and focuses more slightly on the business aspect of business, the longer-term picture, the bigger picture. And we are going to take out all the technology, all the operational stuff, all the Facebook stuff, all the Twitter stuff, all the podcasting stuff, all the blogging stuff, all the digital footprint that the um, – organizational structure, the Evernotes and the paperless transaction and the iPads. We're going to take all of that together and we're going to put that in its own report and we're going to focus on every year what are the 10 most significantly important things that we have noticed in the last 12 months impacting the real estate industry from a technology point of view. We're going to analyze the value proposition of that technology, be it software, be it a provider, be it a vendor, be it a product, be it a shift, be it a concept, doesn't mind what it is. We're going to look at all of those stuff and then we're going to analyze it See whether it's, it's uh, impactful for realtors. So this, this report is now focused more at the grassroots, at the Rockford, where the rubber meets the road, to the real estate professional. How do you use blogging? How do you use um, Twitter? How do you maximize your listings online? What are the, the guidelines? What are the steps? How do you manage it? And we're going to give you tangible takeaways which you can use to, to, make, to make money tomorrow. Well, that sounds really exciting and you know, again, it just speaks to the, the way that you've expanded your coverage of things that you would get to that point where you would have to, um, you know, split off and create a second report. And uh, I, uh, I'm certain that that's going to be a great work and of great benefit to agents who would, who would leverage it because, you know, I have, I have uh, every connection that I have that's significant in my professional life right now and at the top of that list is my connection to you. All of it traces back to technology slash social media. And so, um, you know, I am absolutely an evangelist for all of the topics you just mentioned because I know they work. And I know people who have leveraged everything that you mentioned there. Um, I could name you somebody who has leveraged that thing to economic gain to a certain level of fame, to a certain level of business success, to uh, the expansion of a personal network um, that has led to opportunities in business and income. So uh, that's, uh, I think, a really smart move on your part, and I can't wait to, to see that report. When is it going to be released to, uh, into the wild? The trends report was just released approximately about a month ago, and the technology report is going to be released in the end of April. So I need about a 90-day window between the release of those two reports just to be able to uh, digest and, and, and help work on the reports. I have uh, expanded my, my uh, authorship partner team in both of the reports. So on both the trends report, I've now officially invited 
three or four authors to become regular contributors and, and help me get my hands around the trend stuff. And I did exactly the same on the technology report. We reached out to, to people that I felt were, were experts on their field of expertise. And I said, we're going to have a chapter on this topic. I want you to contribute on this side. So we have on both sides now about six or seven contributors which are experts on their side. But at the end of the day, I'm still taking all of the content and we're weaving it together with the typical, I don't know if you want to call it Swanipal flare or golden thread that we're trying to get through the report to have a level of, of quality and consistency and, and similarity in the reports, meaning that there's a flow. You can read these like a, a, a novel and a story so that you can move from the one to the other. Um, and that report's going to be available uh, at the end of April. Oh, that's not far away. No, it isn't. And um, did, uh, is there any chance that our listeners should get could a, dis a discount on that new report? Yeah, you asked for that. I knew you were going to ask for that. You told me you were going to ask for this. Yes, of course. <laughs> Of course, yeah, I, I, I had to see that one coming. Yes, I, I went and created a special promo code for your group. Uh, it's called RTB. What I mean, else could I call it, right? RTB 2013. So for this year's edition, the 2013 edition, RTB, if you go to the website, RE Trends, which is the acronym, of course, for real estate. So retrends.com, you will see that the new technology report has just been put up uh, the last couple of days, uh, and the trends report is there as well. And uh, we will give your readers an additional 10% discount uh, over and above the normal pre-publication discount, which is currently being offered. So I think the report normally retails for 149 We're currently selling it for 99 as a pre-publication, and I, your people can get it for 89 and some change. Well, thank you for doing that. I greatly appreciate it, and I know that our listeners will as well. Um, uh, just as a side note, I've actually had a chance to read that report, the technology report, and it's my opinion that it's certainly worth purchasing, I, I think that the, the ROI from reading that book will more than cover that modest cost. So thank you for that summary. We have now four minutes left, and oh, we're down goodness. to our final topic, which is something called the T3 Summit. Please tell us what that is. <laughs> uh, the T3 Summit is going to be on the 17th to the 19th of April. It is uh, a, an event which is very, very important for decision makers, CEOs, presidents, uh, influencers, team leaders, rainmakers, top producers, people that believe that they can and want to make a difference to get together. Now, there are many real estate events, and I, I know there are many, and I have myself attended close to a 1,000 because we keep track of them. So I've been to probably most. The difference from this one is there is no frivolousness in this one. There is no sponsors, no vendors, no paid speaking engagement. Nobody can buy a speaking slot. There's no commercialization. The intention is here a serious event for serious people. We are trying to limit the event. I, I don't even want 2,000 people at the event. We want to keep it sort of in the 100 to 150 kind of range so that you can meet everybody eyeball to eyeball. The intention is you get a chance to meet the people that make a difference. And we've already had yeses from the CEO of Home Services of America, so Warren Buffett's representative. The head of the, the whole Berkshire Hathaway is coming. Um, the largest real estate company in the world, Coldwell Banker, the CEO, Budge Husky, is coming. Uh, the fastest growing real estate company of recent times, which is in the media a lot, Keller Williams. Mark Willis is coming from Keller Williams. Uh, Sherry Chris, which we all know very, very well from her active involvement with Better Homes and Gardens and online, she's coming. Uh, leading real estate companies of the world, Panel Connor, the CEO there, is coming. Uh, we have CEOs of, 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 of many organizations, the Realtor.coms, the Zillows, the Trulias, many of the MLS organizations, many of the uh, local associations. The intention is to bring thought leaders together to allow us to sit and say, what are those issues that impact all of us? Let, let's rise above a brand. Let's rise above the pettiness. Let's not go to a room where we know we're going to walk out with a bag which has been sponsored by another company. It's not about that today. It's about sitting in a room, looking at each other and saying, what impacts all of us? Michael, you, me, the franchises, the independents, the, the associations, the listing data, the aggregators. What is the common problems and things that we all can work on? Where should we spend some energy? Where can we actually help each other? I'm a big proponent of helping each other. Even if we are competitors, we can still be competitors and go out and compete against each other, but we can work together. There's not a shadow of a doubt in my mind that I can help you be better and give me the chance to do that. So we're trying to create an environment which is non-threatening, which is a, is, a, is a relaxed atmosphere for people who are serious about the business and who want to make a difference. That's the, that's the main push of it, to try and engage people and be proactive 
and have interactive strategic kind of thinking opportunities? Um, 90, 90 seconds left. I'm going to let you finish this out. I'll tell you when we've hit the wall. Um, where is where is T3 Summit? Where can people learn more about it? And any final thoughts you want to share on the show? You have you have 76 seconds. Oh my goodness! I, we are going to have a, a bunch of speakers, but it's again not about the speakers, right? It's about the event. It's about being there. So I'm not putting out an agenda and say this guy nine o'clock and ten o'clock. It's the opportunity just to be at the central location. We are going to be together in Las Vegas, not on a strip, on a hotel, 20 minutes out of Las Vegas, in a more remote remote location from the 17th to the 19th of April. If people are interested, um, we have limited, uh, limited participation. I, I'm not sure everybody can be accepted, but go to the website t3summit.com, as you would expect. I don't like funny URLs, so T3. And the T3 stands for Trends, Technology, and Thought. Right? Serious event for serious people who are thinking about the industry and how we can make this a better place for you as an individual, for you as a company or a brand, for our associations, and for ourselves and for everything which we're going to leave behind for the people that follow after us. Come join me at T3 Summit if you want to make a difference. You are going to meet people which you will never have an opportunity to uh, see anywhere else. T3Summit.com, and we are closing the shop very, very soon. Five seconds left, Stefan. Thank you so much for being here again. I hope you have a phenomenal day, my friend. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening, and take care. Good luck. Thank you, Stefan. Bye-bye.